Well, welcome to Conversation 6. I'm Jeff Colgan. I'm an Associate Professor at Brown University and now Director of the Climate Solutions Lab. And I'm joined here today by uh, Rebecca Listener, who is an Assistant Professor at the Naval War College in the United States uh, and co-author of the new book, An Open World. Uh, she's speaking in her personal capacity, not uh, for the Naval War College. Um, and the question we're kind of grappling with today is, uh, around climate change and U.S.-China relations. Uh, and so, Rebecca, thanks so much for joining me. Jeff, I am so excited to be here with you and to discuss your excellent recent foreign affairs article on this very topic, the climate case against decoupling. So to start off, I just wanted to ask you what you think we should do about climate change in the context of really worsening U.S.-China frictions and partial decoupling of the U.S. and Chinese economies that we've seen over the course of this year so far. Right. So I start thinking about this question from two basic premises. One is that climate change is really bad and fixing it should be a top level priority for U.S. foreign policy. Uh, and the second is that China has to be part of the solution uh, on that because it is on its own, the largest emitter in the world of greenhouse gases, it, it accounts for something like 25 or 28% of the world's uh, emissions. So it has to be part of, of that. And if you take those two things seriously, that you know, the US has to make this a priority and that China has to be part of the solution, then the question is, well, you know, what follows from that? Uh, and it's got, I think, implications for the broader relationship between the United States and China. Uh, and so many scholars now see some version of a climate club being crucial to the solution for climate change. And by that, I mean um, a group of countries, not necessarily the whole world, but, but at least sort of China, the US and Europe, uh, working on reducing their emissions by adopting something like a carbon tax or some carbon pricing and by uh, penalizing non-members of the club by putting uh, carbon border adjustments or some form of tariffs on the, the imports and exports of uh, countries that want access to the, the economies in the climate. So if that's the goal, uh, then uh, we need China to be in the climate club. Uh, that's really important. And that means that we can't just go kind of willy-nilly uh, having a, a really difficult relationship, a hostile relationship with, uh, with China. And in particular, we, we can't decouple uh, our economies for any reason except the idea that China refuses to participate in the climate crisis. Well, that's really interesting. And I guess it begs the question in my mind of how much interest convergence is there really between the U.S. and China? Is getting China on board with the type of climate club you're describing something that's going to require exercising considerable coercion and actually using the economic interdependence that does still exist as leverage? I think that there is a genuine interest in China in seeing some move to do better on climate change. Uh, that is tightly linked to um, you know, the co-benefits of reducing local air pollution in Beijing and other Chinese cities, right? So that's very much how the 
Chinese, I think, see this problem. But there is genuine interest uh, there. But that being said, what we've seen in the history of the last 25 years of efforts at the international level to try to get movement on climate change is that countries, when they're not facing some form of economic penalty for making reductions in greenhouse gases, then they don't do enough, not nearly enough to meet the two degree Celsius target that the UN has set out. Uh, and so that's, that's where I think that the, the, we need to have some bite uh, to this to answer your question. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting because, you know, my book with Mira Rapp Hooper, An Open World, addresses the question of how the U.S. can develop a strategy that renovates the international order to address these major 21st century global challenges like climate change. Because, you know, the fact is, as you well know, that so many of our existing international institutions and norms and laws were built either after World War II or after the Cold War when climate change was simply not a prevailing concern. And today we know that climate climate change is an existential threat and that it does need to become a centerpiece of American grand strategy going forward. Uh, but we need to figure out a way to define a new solution set at the very same time as tension between the U.S. and China is worsening and we're entering this period that many people have called great power competition. So as the U.S. and China are sort of competing to actually write the rules for 21st century order, so much is going to depend on whether this this is actually going to be a bright spot for cooperation, whether by some sort of coercive means or sort of genuine harmony of interest, or whether this is going to be an area that falls victim to the broader downturn in the, in the relationship and um, is the kind of existential threat not entirely dissimilar from COVID that the U.S. and China can't get on the same page to solve. Rebecca, that's uh, exactly right. And I just wonder... Uh, we're out of six minutes. Uh, so thank you so much for joining me. And I think we're done.